Hey everyone, before we start the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live podcast coming up next Friday, March 8th at 6.30 p.m. at Downtown Cinemas in downtown Las Vegas. We'll be talking about the new Blumhouse horror film, Imaginary. Joining me on the panel, we've got Jimmy Gonzalez, Tom Devlin, and Nick Woods. It's going to be a really fun time. Also, Downtown Cinemas is doing a promotion. You should bring your imaginary friend with you because you'll get a free upgrade on your popcorn to share with your imaginary buddy so come on out it's going to be a great time we're going to get into this movie imaginary talk puzzle pieces have a fun conversation we hope to see you there links and information and how to win tickets in the show notes Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're talking about Dune Chapter 2, blowing up the box office this weekend, and we have a super episode coming to you. Joining me to talk about this one, I've got five great guests. I've got Josh Bell, who was actually the guest on Dune Chapter 1, so I'm happy to have him back. Then we've got M.N. Miller, Bradley Andrew... Rachel Wagner and Amanda Goraji. And we have a great conversation, lots of puzzle pieces to get into, and lots of different opinions and points of view to get into the world of Dune on this one. So that's coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. Also, if you are here in Las Vegas, i got to remind you, this coming Friday... We are doing a live show at Downtown Cinemas on the new Blumhouse horror film Imaginary. Joining me for that one, we've got Jimmy Gonzalez, Nick Woods, and Tom Devlin. It's going to be a fun time, 6.30 p.m. Come out to the screening, and then we will be podcasting right there in the theater. I hope to see you out if you're here in Las Vegas. We will be doing a whole bunch more of these live shows, so make sure you are following me on all the socials to find out about them as they come, but maybe we'll see you this Friday. So with that said, let's get into Dune Chapter 2. All right, Josh Bell is with us. Are you ready to get back into Dune, Josh? I'm doing it. Yeah, there you I'm go. I'm sure That's I'm it. not the only one who's going to say that. <laughs> I sure hope not. Uh, so Josh was the guest on the original Dune, or I should say the uh, the original Denis Villeneuve Dune a couple of years ago, 2021. So I definitely wanted him to be a part of this super episode. So just getting right into it. Josh, what did you think of Dune 2? I liked it. I feel like maybe my expectations were too high because unlike you, I did like the first Dune quite a bit. Mm and had rewatched it and and still quite liked it. And the reviews for this movie have been just over the top positive. And so I went into it thinking, oh, man, is this going to be the greatest sci-fi movie ever, the greatest sequel ever, the greatest movie of this year? And I don't think it's necessarily any of those things, but I did think it was very good. And I feel like it's also something where I might even appreciate it more watching it a second time if I end up doing that, you know, before the third Vian of Dune comes out, assuming that he does that. But overall, I thought this was really good. It's epic. 
It's got great performances. It looks amazing. The action is good. I feel like there's more action maybe in I this think one. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's a bit more exciting, maybe Villeneuve, who's not always known as an action director, does a good job with it. So yeah, I I, I like it. And it, the issues that I have with it are minor. Yeah, no, fair enough. I, I do think the, uh, the review hype is maybe a little overboard, uh, with it. It does seem like everyone's calling it the best, you know, sci-fi action movie ever. And that's a, it's an interesting thing for it to try to live up to. And I know that he's saying that he wants to take a little time before the third one, if he does get to make it. And that's probably smart after this reaction, but, um, Let's start getting into some pieces. What do you have uh, for your first puzzle piece here? Well, so speaking of the greatest sci-fi action movies ever and the greatest sequels ever, my first puzzle piece is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Nice. And uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, this is not, but um, I, I think that kind of building on the legacy of something that's so beloved and building on the mythology of it. I mean, obviously, this has got source material that Villeneuve is referring to, but for so many people who probably just saw the first movie and didn't necessarily read the book to want to dive into more of that mythology and expand on that world. And even more so than that, I mean, and then I guess we could say the special effects too are are breathtaking in both of these films. The thing that struck me most though, was the relationship between the mother and son characters in both of these films. And in both cases, you have this son, you've got John Connor, Edward Furlong in Terminator 2 and Paul Atreides here Timothy Chalamet, who has been designated like the chosen one who's going to lead people to salvation and didn't ask for that, doesn't really want it, kind of resents it. And we have this mother who has devoted her entire existence to the idea that her son is the chosen one and she's going to guide him to that place no matter what, even if he doesn't want her to, even if it it hurts him in some ways. And I feel like that's what Sarah Connor is doing with John Connor in Terminator 2. And, um, you know, we have similar outcomes here. And I mean, in both cases, like they become the chosen one in their own way, whether they want to or not. And some of the later Terminator sequels attempted to subvert that idea in yeah. a way that this movie does. And and it, it, not well, like I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll pick, you know, Terminator Dark Fate or something like that. But those <laughs> movies aren't very good. Mm-hmm. But but to their credit, those filmmakers all came in and said, we have to kind of not, you know, we have to take John Connor down a peg in a way or the idea that this person is just going to be the savior of humanity. But to me, T2 is is the one. So that's my pick. Yeah, I think it's a great pick, and and it, it it speaks to how difficult it is to cover in this particular podcast a movie like Dune because, like, obviously the book inspired all these other things, and so it's kind of you know just all going back back around on itself, and the whole savior messiah thing, especially reluctant savior messiah thing in all of these kinds of sci-fi movies, it seems like a you know a pretty standard thing. I was also thinking of later Terminator movies with this, uh, you know, like we we're seeing kind of the big war that set everything in motion with with what happens in Dune Part 2. And like you said, like there is more action in this movie. I think that's a big part of why I liked it more, whereas in something like, you know, I don't know, Terminator Salvation, it's like we're, we're seeing the big war and it's like, 
yeah, but it's terrible, you know? That's, <laughs> so, that's the worst. Yeah. So. That's the worst of them all, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have, a, a, like, a soft spot, I think, for those later Terminator movies to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. But Salvation is really the weakest of them all. I completely agree with you there. It's the worst one. But uh, let's go to another piece. What else do you got? All right, so I have the big, major, thematic, you know, uh, monolithic influence. And then I picked Tank Girl, which <laughs> nice. is... A forgotten comic book movie from the 90s that I believe I saw in the theater in 1995 because I would see anything that was based on a comic book at the time. And of course, in that era, comic books were this weird thing that nobody would make a movie about. And so Tank Girl was a sort of lesser known uh, Dark Horse Comics character. Uh, Lori Petty played this character in the film. And I don't think it's very good. I haven't seen it since 1995. But the image... The image that I always remember from Tank Girl, because it's set in this kind of post-apocalyptic world where drought has ravaged the earth. And so, uh, you know, it's this whole desert landscape and water is incredibly precious. And Malcolm McDowell plays the villain. And one of the things that he does to kill people is he has some sort of device that he like stabs them with that drains all the water from them. And I still remember that imagery, even though I don't remember anything else about the film. And that's what they do here. I mean, they don't, I don't think they use it as like a tool of killing, right? In Dune, they only use it after someone is dead. Sure. They kind of hook them up and they can drain the water from them. But all I could think about was when they were doing that was Tank Girl. So (laughs) I doubt it's good. I doubt I would like it if I watched it now, but it's certainly something that stuck in my mind. You know, that that sequence, uh, you know, was reminding me a little bit of some of the things that you and I have talked about on this show before with Brandon Cronenberg with some of that just like gross near future, although it's set way, way in the future. But, uh, you know, interesting looking tech that you don't quite understand how it works, but it looks cool. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really like that sequence in this movie. But to Tank Girl, though, um, yeah, I really wonder how that movie holds up. I haven't seen it since back then either. I bet it's going to come up when we do Furiosa later this year. And I bet it's going to come up again when we do Borderlands later this year, the video game movie. Um, Tank Girl's in the air, possibly shockingly influential movie tank girl. <laughs> yeah. Everything comes back around at some point, right? So. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, any, any closing thoughts, anything else you wanted to mention about Dune 2 before we wrap this up? No, I mean, I know you got a lot of other thoughts from a lot of other people coming up, but uh, I enjoyed Dune 2. I'm curious to hear what other people thought were its influences, but uh, I'm just uh, glad that it was made. We, you know, when the first one came out, there was a question of, is it going to be successful enough for them to continue the story? And I, I'm glad it all worked out for those people. Yeah. It's always nice when things work out for people. Yes. <laughs> well, Josh, tell people where they could find you and Awesome Movie Year. Oh, yeah. I think we're going through 1939 still an Awesome Movie Year oh, is yeah. what's going on as this comes out. So you can check us out at awesomemovieyear.com. You can check us out at uh, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and get our episodes wherever you get podcasts. Uh, some stuff from me at joshbellhateseverything.com, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook. I'm at Signal Bleed on Twitter and Blue Sky and Letterboxd everywhere. And if you're in Vegas, you can check me out on Channel 13, KTNV, 11 a.m. news every Friday. Right on. Well, Josh, thanks for doing the show, and I'm sure we'll get you back for Dune Messiah one of these days. I can't wait. All right, M.N. Miller is with us to talk about Dune Chapter 2, 
How you doing, M.N. Miller? Not bad, David. How are you? I'm great. I, uh, I'm i always excited when... When I'm on? I know. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, when I like a movie more than I thought I was going to. Why do you think you're going to like it, David? What do you have against... Well, I didn't like... Dude, that everyone <laughs> what do I, has. <laughs> what do I have against sand? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I just didn't like the first one. I, I like it was beautiful. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, he knows how to put together a movie, but I just thought it was so boring, and I thought this was going to be more of the same based on the trailer. And I was kind of blown away. Well, the more mature response to that is David, you're boring. Okay, so <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No, I, the first one definitely had. I think people didn't really know how to comprehend it. Mm-hmm. I think it had its own pace, its own style, its own layout. And it ended kind of like on a, you know, cliffhanger. And it really was like, compared to this movie, it was very action-free compared to the, the follow-up. Yeah. This is much more of a war movie, much more fast-paced. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I I joked on my uh, letterbox review. The whole first movie could have been a Star Wars style scroll at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> just to like set us set us up and get us into this movie because this is where the story starts, the action starts, all the good stuff starts happening in mm-hmm. this one. So, but uh, with that said, let's get into puzzle pieces. What do you have for your first piece? Well, a lot of people are you know going to you know the classic ones. I'll start with the classic one, but I'm not sure if anyone has really thought of this, but Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. I think. Uh, there's a lot of, well, this is straight from the director's mouth, but I also read that um, that movie inspired Frank Herbert's original Dune, the mm. book. So there's a lot of uh, themes from Lawrence of Arabia that are prevalent in Dune, like economic exploitation. Mm-hmm. If you look at the two movies, you have Spice Trade with Dune, Dune 2, and then Lawrence of Arabia is kind of about you know, trying to free up trade routes and other uh, economic possibilities by backing um, those tribes against the Ottoman Empire. So that was one theme I thought. Also, like political control. Like, yeah. Especially at the end of Dune 2, there's, you know, about, you know, little chess pieces and matches to gain control over the entire uh, universe. You have cultural domination, the Freeman tribe who, like, live there. That is their spice you know that is their land but then everyone in the universe is claiming control of it you know yeah um, with those and lawrence Rabe is the same thing with the prince fossils army and i think it's called ben- the benoian tribes uh in lawrence arabia and then he's just have the social hierarchy you know he yeah. basically is in love with um zendaya's character and then he well just not to do spoilers but you know how the movie well, you, can, you can spoil away, spoil okay, away. Great. Let's do You it. don't care. You don't like to, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he, he loves her, but he trades it in for the, you know, for political power and control with um, yeah. Lawrence Pugh's character. Yeah. So it's almost like it's, you know, I just watched, I don't know if you watched the premiere of Shogun on FX this past week. I haven't. Uh, no, that's basically, you know, Portugal and not Port- yeah, Portugal and Spain divided up that new world into two parts without even asking Japan if like they have the rights to it. So they're mm. just claiming the rights of uh, Japan and not even asking Japan if they want to give up their rights to their own country. And they're mm. doing it behind, you know, building secret bases all across their land. So yeah. across their empire. So a lot of that, like colonialism um, is very, very prevalent in a lot of work. And this is this is one of them in both movies, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think like using Lawrence Arabia as a piece here, I mean, there's so much story in here. There's so... There's so much to it, but then at the same time, it's also just like 
like beautiful old school movie making. And so you kind of get like the best of both worlds. We just had that quote from uh, Villeneuve, how he doesn't like, you know, dialogue. He just likes pictures in movies and like, you know, but you get both, you do get all of the above in it. So no, it's not like it's James Cameron where, you know, the dialogue can be stale and kind of fake. I mean, this, the dialogue is fine in these movies. I mean, I, I I, I don't think Dennis, he, I don't think he's made a bad movie in my opinion. I've seen them all. Yeah. I never thought the dialogue was ever a bad thing in, in his films. Absolutely. The, another thing about Lawrence of Arabia, like it, it's funny that being an influence on the original Dune book, which I, I didn't know that like offhand, although I could certainly see that. Um, but I feel like when talking about Dune, it's impossible to not get in that spiral on this podcast where yeah. things that inspired Dune inspired other things that inspired Dune to or like this new mm-hmm. adaptation of Dune, you know, like they all kind of go in this long cyclical way of, of telling a similar story. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, trying to come up with, you know, unique puzzle pieces for each of these kind of movies. But with that said, let's go to your next piece. What do you have for your second one? Uh, well, there's one, I, well, a lot of people say empire strikes back, which I agree. Um, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, you know, my third, but I want to get that out of the way where, you know, the setting, the, uh, it's kind of like a setup to a third part evil sure. versus good like all that all that good stuff and you know that's definitely an influence but one i i read recently which i thought was interesting was uh martin scorsese's film um the last adaptation of christ um mm. so i think the the vision part with timothy shemley's character uh being the the next heir apparent or you know the the savior is very is is the same type of uh themes and and quality from Scorsese's film to uh, to this film. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a huge part of it, but it is, it is an underlying theme throughout the first two films, how he's seeing something to the future. He's seeing like, you know, the war in the future in the first film. This time he's seeing his daughter with blonde hair. I believe that's what it was into the future in the second film. He's mm. trying to live up to, he's like this Christ-like figure living up to his destiny. Uh, so I think and uh, the director is on, record talking about that film was a very big influence on him in his filmmaking yeah it makes sense and yeah i mean i i think that as we get into the third one i mean those themes are going to be super super heavy as we continue uh on paul atreides story and Mm -hmm. uh you know as he continues to take on this messiah role and so yeah using some kind of jesus story especially that version of that story uh, i think is a really great pull here so i think that's a really good one to include especially at the end like shell i thought he's he's always a very good actor but he really showed me like he had a real raw power on screen that i don't think i saw from him before in previous performances at at the end he was just he just commanded the screen that type of like that quality that role that leadership that was i really think it's gonna turn a page in in his career going forward Uh, i I can't wait to see the third one how that character develops and how it ends yeah, I completely agree. Like, even though I was kind of lukewarm on the first one, like, I thought he was the standout of the movie. Like, he really did a great job of, like, carrying that. And I think he's just better here, even, than in the first one. And he's really growing with that character. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he he's perfect for the role. And uh, I definitely can't wait to see what he does with the third one. But, yeah, is there any other closing thoughts you wanted to get into? Anything you wanted to mention before we wrap this up? Uh, I thought Dune 2 was probably better than the first one. I think it's, mm-hmm. I really do think it's a, you know, it's a very sophisticated sci-fi film. Very yeah. layered, uh, action-packed. There's like, some, there's moments in this movie that like, I just, they're kind of like awe-inspiring. Like, I really don't get that way too much, but there's like three scenes in this film that are just like, 
for viewers, I think it's make their jaw drop. You know, just there's yeah. some things in this movie that are just like, wow. And it, to me, it didn't feel like the running time. But it's, you know, I can't wait for everyone to see it this weekend. I know it's gonna make a ton of money. Uh, I'm interested to see like how it will have the awards poll like it did a couple years ago, considering hmm. it's a March release. Um, but I just think it's a fantastic film. And, you know, I hope um, people enjoy it as much as the critics seem to like it. Yeah, no, for Except sure. Except for a few uh, stragglers who want to nitpick at it but you know yeah yeah i i thought that would be me but it wasn't but uh hey mm miller thank you so much for being here tell people where they could find you and your writing well you can find me online on twitter mn miller film rev uh instagram as well i wrote a review for dune part two on insessionfilm.com and i have an authory page we can find all my work uh go to mm miller authory.com and you can find it there right on well i think we'll be getting you back for one of our live shows soon but as always, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, David. Really appreciate it. All right, we've got Bradley Andrew back with us to talk about Dune Part 2. How's it going, Bradley? Hey, David. How's it going? I am great. I am always excited when a movie kind of surprises me because, as I think I mentioned to you, I wasn't as hot on Dune as most people were. Like, I liked parts of it. I didn't like parts of it. This one kind of blew me away, though. That's awesome to hear. Uh, I was a huge fan of part one. I am Denis Villeneuve's biggest fan. I'm such yeah. a huge fan of his films. I'm a huge fan of Dune. So the when he got announced as director of Dune, when he was going to do the adaptations, I was so excited because I'm such a big fan of his. And I'm such a big fan of Dune. So it was like the meeting of the worlds for me. You know what I mean? Sure. My favorite contemporary filmmaker and then mm. one of my all-time favorite novels. So I was very excited when it got announced of course there's always skepticism with anything when it comes to that i didn't i didn't want to give my hopes up i didn't want to i don't like to overhype things so i sure. you know, i went in cautiously but i was very pleased uh with it but part two really blew me away as well because you know with part one he is adapting one book into two parts so i kind of expected part one i kind of mm. knew what i was going into i think a little more than some other people. So I was very pleased with the world building that he introduced into the first film. Mm-hmm. And I thought he just fleshed it out beautifully with part two. It just, he really uh, exceeded expectations in my honest opinion. Right on, right on. Well, let's start getting into some pieces. What do you have for your first puzzle piece here? So my first piece is 2001, A Space Odyssey. By nice. Stanley Kubrick. Um, the... I know Denis is such a huge fan of that film and is very influenced by it. There's a lot of visual motifs in the film um, with Paul's sister Mm -hmm. in the womb that reminded me a lot of 2001 naturally, and I'm pretty sure that was a reference to that specifically. And just that overall, that very um, poetic, larger-than-life science fiction feel, I feel like Denis really captured that. And what I love a lot about Doom Part 2 as it's this huge action film, but it's also very slow in parts, and uh, it's almost like this meditation on science fiction, and it's just so beautifully executed, and just I love that he is taking this big blockbuster and just, you know, he's bringing that flair, that artistic flair to it, and it's not slow cinema, which is what Kubrick kind of flirted with a lot, especially with like 2001 and Barry Lyndon. But it has those elements in there. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely see a lot of uh, 2001 um, imagery in it, even with 
uh, Giddy Prime, some of that, the Black Sun, just the way the shots sure. of the sun and everything were, just the way, and even in the very beginning with the opening credits, just just the way that planetary kind of, those images, you know, those, it just, it brought that vibe to me. I instantly felt the 2001 and Kubrick vibes, like, yeah. right out the gate, you know? Absolutely. I, I, you know, whenever I leave the theater, I always jot down a few puzzle pieces mm-hmm. just in case, and 2001 right. was number one for me on this number one, one, so, absolutely. yeah. I completely agree with you. It It's either that or it's Andrew Dominic's Blonde, which I'm mm-hmm. in the minority. I really like that movie. But, That's an interesting uh, piece. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, the, 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 the visuals of this just like dreamlike, almost nightmares, but not really mm-hmm. uh, of the, of this baby and, and these visuals right. that you quite can't quite understand. You don't know if the characters understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And yeah, just. This movie and 2001, they both are just so interested in just the visual wonder of, you know, what a sci-fi movie can be, what you can, when you get off of just the normal, you know, traditional world, what is possible. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously that goes back to what is described in the novel, but it also goes to Villeneuve's, you know, visionary ideas of, of how to put this into an actual motion picture and uh yeah some really incredible visuals so i think uh, a great one to kick this off with and so. i do believe that uh denis is a visionary of our times um and it's kind of hard to talk about 2001 it's kind of it's been spoken about written about analyzed so much so it's so hard to say anything new about it i mean mm. it's, it's, it's one of the greatest films ever made there's no doubt about it sure and i feel like denis is his films are gone. They're going to have that same resonance like Kubrick. And uh, I know he puts so much work, so much effort, and you know so much research into them, same as Kubrick. And you can feel that. And also with 2001 and Dune Part 2 specifically, they both theatrically are two films that I felt like I was on another planet. I mm, felt yeah. immersed. You know, I... I I genuinely, I've seen Dune Part 2 already three times. I've mm-hmm. already seen it three times. And every time it feels like an experience, I feel just, you know, like I'm in the film. It just is so immersive. And I, and I felt the same way with uh, Kubrick 2001 when I saw that in theaters. For the first time, it was, it was mind-blowing. Uh, just the psychedelic nature of the film, the mysterious nature of the film. I feel like Denis really does, he taps into that. And I feel like he really gets to tap into those weird psychedelic elements of frank herbert's novel a little yeah. more than this he gets to flesh it out so i was so happy about that because that's that's kind of my thing that's what i really i'm really attracted to that mm. and so i was it was it was amazing to just feel that same energy that i got from screening of 2001 it was, yeah. was otherworldly truly yeah, the the first time I actually got to see 2001 was in IMAX, and awesome. it, it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a bit of a mind-blowing experience, but what do you have, uh, uh, what do you have for your next piece? So my next piece is another seminal film, Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. and that's another one that I feel is, uh, lends itself very obvious, I've heard Denise talk about it, I'm pretty sure he, um, introduced the screening of it at one point, just, Everything about war and um, just the emotional struggles with the violence that are that's inherent in war, yeah, and just that false kind of prophet narrative that we see a lot. Everything with the desert, the landscapes, all that. It's just it feels honestly feels like a culmination of two thousand one and Lawrence of Arabia. So that's those two pieces are 
companion pieces, basically, because I feel like he really melds that into it. And just the fact that he went into the desert and shot it in the desert, you know, it just means a lot to me personally that he, he went and he put in that work. Just, you know, like filmmakers like David Lean, they would actually go into the desert and they would shoot these epic films. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel like Denis really embraces that. And that's kind of a hard thing to embrace in this day and age. Like you were saying earlier, it's so visual. I feel like Lawrence mm. of Arabia is very visual as well. And I know recently Denis caused a little bit of controversy I've seen because he was talking about film as a visual medium. Sure, and that he, sure. he's not very interested in dialogue. And I actually know what he means there. There's an inherent poetry in visual mediums that's already there. And all visual mediums have it. And it's not a slight against writers. It's just even within writing, there's this inherent poetry just embedded into art. And I think that's what he was talking about. And with 2001 and Lawrence of Arabia, you can feel those. You can feel that grand epic scale, just like within Dune. You can feel the poetry in between the lines. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so vast and just so epic. And Dune feels, feels that way, specifically part two, because you're getting into the meat of the story. You're getting those aesthetics more. You're spending more time in the desert with the Fremen. You know, you're in there with the Fremen. You feel like you're a part of that that yeah. tribe, you know, and that's how Lawrence of Arabia feels to me. And I watch that. You feel immersed in that culture. You feel like you're a part of that culture. You're being welcomed into that culture. You're an avatar for that character. And, you know, it's just those two. It's just mind blowing how well he brought those influences, I feel, in, into Dune Part 2 and how well they know it and work. You know, it's, it's really sure. interesting with Dune, the the feeling of it, like with the technology and everything, you know, it's it's almost like this ancient culture meets the future, this futuristic. It's really cool, that meeting of those aesthetics, you know? Sure. Kind of sure. like that old world feel with a highly futuristic feel. I really like that, and I feel like both those films, they really kind of illustrate that what Doom 2 is going for, Doom Part 2 is going for. Yeah, it really is a meeting of like the two extremes of what is possible with, you mm -hmm. know, the, the visual and storytelling, you know, portions of filmmaking. But it's funny, um, whenever I do these super episodes, um, mm -hmm. you always know with five different guests, there's going to be some overlap. And cool. Lawrence of Arabia is the first one that has been in two of these conversations. I'm curious oh, to wow. see. I'm curious to see if that's one that comes up maybe even a third time because it does seem like. I feel like I'm even seeing it online a lot where mm -hmm. people are making that that connection and I I think it's a really great connection to make. I do too and that's it's such a epic fantastic film. That's yeah. that's one I would love to see theatrically. Um oh, me and too. it's just such a grand vision and it's interesting because I believe I could be wrong but I believe David Lean was the first filmmaker that was approached to do an adaptation of Dune. Hmm. So it's kind of a cool connection there as well with David Lean. I, I'm that's pretty cool. sure he turned it down. There could have mm -hmm. been filmmakers before him that was offered, but I'm pretty sure he's the first one that was offered the chance to kind of bring Dune to that visual medium of film. So it's an interesting correlation there. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting correlations that happen with Dune. It's so interesting, the type of filmmakers and artists that are really attracted to Dune. I'm really interested in that. What's, what makes someone so attracted to this material? Because it's such a legendary material, you know? Yeah. It kind of covers everything. It so, does. like, you know, you got so really to relevant to our times as well. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else, any closing thoughts that you wanted to bring up about Dune Part 2 before we wrap it up? 
Absolutely. I just want to give a shout out to Alejandro Yodorovsky and uh, David Lynch. I want to give a big mm. shout out to those guys because um, they're two of my biggest influences artistically mm. just in my life. Um, those two really opened my mind early on, and I just wanted to touch on both of those uh, men and just pay respects to them. They mean so much to me, and Dune means so much to me, and Denis means so much to me. So it's it's really interesting that my two favorite filmmakers of all time, you know, Alejandro had his planned uh, adaptation of Dune that we all know about, the legendary sure. adaptation, and then, you know, David Lynch's film, which some people hate, some people love. I'm a big fan of the film. I love David Lynch. I'll I love it, too. I think he does. I saw it theatrically for the 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Had so much fun. Me and my wife had so much fun with it. And I just, I wanted to give a shout out to those two guys and just pay my respects to them. And uh, yeah. Fantastic. Right on. Well, Bradley, tell people where they can find you and your films. Well, I'm all over social media. Uh, Bradley Andrew on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the good stuff. Uh, you can find usually links. I usually share uh, updates on all my work. Um, we actually just had a film I worked on. Uh, it was directed by my best friend, one of my biggest collaborators, um, The Awakening of Lilith. It actually premiered on, uh, it didn't premiere, but it got, um, it's on Tubi. You can check it out on Tubi. Um, I think it did premiere on there because that's the first streaming service it's been on. So you guys want to check that out. It's uh like I said, it's on Tubi, The Awakening of Lilith. It was directed by my best friend, Stephen Adam Rinkovich. Uh, so I'd advise you to check that out. I'm still working on my comic, Virtual Graveyard. It's kind of grown in scale. This kind of became a multimedia uh, concept piece. Nice. So it's grown a lot. It's very influenced by Dune. So if anyone likes Dune, <laughs> or you like Alejandro, you like Lynch, you like Denis, you like that kind of visual style, you like that kind of... Um, that psychedelic sci-fi field and uh, i think you'll like what i'm working on it's called virtual graveyard and uh it should be finished sometime soon i'm just i'm trying to put a lot into it because like i said it's 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 turned into it started as a comic and it's turned into a huge multimedia project so hopefully that'll be we'll be getting some leeway with that in uh, the future Uh, a bunch of films are coming up with the production company i work with refuge films so you can follow that page as well. Waking a Lilith has a page you can follow for any updates on that. Um, just check those things out if you want. If not, that's cool too. <laughs> but yeah. Hey, I mean, the way you describe all that, it sounds awesome. I'm very excited to see uh, how your multimedia project is coming along. Like that sounds uh, really great. I appreciate great. that, David. Yeah. So, hey, thanks so much for doing it. And hopefully we'll get you back again sometime. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you, David. All right, Rachel Wagner is with us to talk about Dune Chapter 2. How's it going, Rachel? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am great, and I'm happy to have you here because uh, this super episode so far has just been an absolute love fest. (laughs) And while I did enjoy Dune Chapter 2 quite a bit, um, I feel like I'm kind of in your camp on, like, you know, thinking it's good for the story, but, you know, maybe not being super into you know, Dune itself. Is that right? You're a hater. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> How could we? You're How not could allowed we? To <laughs> any alternative views on this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> terrible people we are. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Where were you on the first Dune? Because I like this one a lot better than the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm about the same on both of them. I did okay. give it a mild recommendation just because I felt like. This is where I've struggled with Dune is that 
I think that it is the best. This is this is it. This is Doom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like how can you fault something for being what it is? Sure. Right. I just don't particularly like that. I don't yeah. like what it is, but it is what it is. You know, like that's what's the struggle. Like, I I mean, Dune for me as a novel was one of the most excruciating experiences of my literary career. It was (laughs) so plotting and bland and just not interesting. I wasn't engaged in the story or the characters or the world or anything. I did Mm -hmm. not like it at all. So it's not fair for me. Like, clearly the book is a phenomenon. People love it. It's sure. not fair for me as a critic to come in and be like, it's just not for me. I just don't like the story. I don't like the characters, but a lot of people yeah. do. And if you like it, then you'll like, you'll like it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's, he's faithful to the source material, which is faithful. It is. Yeah. I mean, yes, people will say, okay, they made, I'm obviously no expert because I didn't like it. So I didn't like deep dive deep into the lore and there's like some differences, particularly in the second one and then the book. But just as far as tone, style, feel, the the type of character, the whole spices. I mean, <laughs> it is Dune. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's it's a very specific thing and it's captured very well by Denis Villeneuve. Yes. But uh yeah, if you're not in, you're not in, and that is, uh, I think it's fair, but it also, you're right, it makes it very difficult to, you know, approach objectively, and so, uh, you know, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, you know, way to, you know, jump into this one, but let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. What do you have for your first piece? All right, my first piece uh, is actually a, a part of, like, I guess, English lore, um, mm-hmm. and storytelling. It's the Green Knight. Um, this oh, came out sure. in 2021. Uh, so I don't know how influential it really could, you could say it is on Dune, but, uh, but I do think that there's similarities, uh, mm-hmm. in the, you know, sort of the chosen one story, the, the style of the, of the cinematography and the filmmaking. And, and uh, I, I think that, there's some like weird surrealist touches that David Lowry uses, sure that um are similar to some of the the moments in uh, Denis Villeneuve's approach, mm-hmm. um, particularly with the Baron and anything involving the Baron. I think feels similar to some of the scenes in The Green Knight. Um, yeah. I think if somebody likes Dune, I think they'll probably like The Green Knight. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think it's a great, you know, even though it came out in 2021 at the same time as the uh, first one, uh, I think I think it's a great piece to include here. I I think in a way, part of why I liked Dune Chapter 2 more is, and we know there was that, you know, quote going around from, from Denis that, you know, that he likes visual storytelling more than dialogue yeah. and he's getting a little heat for that. But I do think this movie doubles down on beautiful visuals from the first one. Mm-hmm. Like... The first one looked great. I, I, as much as I was lukewarm on it, it looked amazing, yeah. and I think this one looks even better. And I think that's like my biggest takeaway from the Green Knight. As much as I like David Lowry as a filmmaker overall, mm-hmm. I think the best thing about that movie was the striking visuals and doing things that you—they really kind of come out of your imagination when 
reading a story like The Green Knight or like Dune mm-hmm. and uh, really trying to capture that in very natural but over-the-top wild, you know, visual effects. And yeah, I, th- I think uh, both of these movies do that really well. Yeah, and I think the first Dune for me was a little bit stronger as far as the uh, the messaging and the themes and everything. Mm-hmm. The, the, t- in how it explored the idea of leadership and the difference between uh, Paul and his father and mm-hmm. what he was, how he was going to lead. Whereas the second one's a little more generic as far as mm. themes uh, of, you know, again, a chosen one and kind of a, a war, you know, war story. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I'd agree as far, especially once the second one is once it gets started with it being a war movie, I think that's where, it gets, it starts to win me over if I can be won over to Dune, if, sure. the, if that's possible, uh, then uh, then it, 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 it becomes more interesting. That first hour of the second one was pretty rough for me, like just mm. hanging out with the free men and having yeah. all those goings on just weren't that interesting to me. But I think once it starts to be an actual like war movie is when it gets more compelling. Um, yeah. The Green Knight... <laughs> Uh, it, it was a little trippy sometimes for me, I was kind of lost, but it has that a 24 kind of feel that you don't get with that. You don't, that you don't get with a uh, Dune, but sure. quite as much. And we had a little bit more in the first one with like the Jared Leto character and, you know, some of the things, but still, I think the, it's just emblematic of kind of the way a lot of movie makers are kind of trying to tell a lore and fairy tales these days. Trying yeah. to kind of push boundaries. Yeah. Um, and pushing boundaries in, you know, a blockbuster when we're used to the usual superhero stuff, yeah. you know, every few months, you know, is always, it's always a good thing. It should be celebrated, I think, yeah. even if we're, uh, you know, in, in the middle on our uh, reactions. But yeah, what do you have for another piece, though? Yes. So my second piece, uh, well, really, I think you could take any iteration of the Ten Commandments story, the Moses story. And apply mm-hmm. it to Paul and kind of his story. But the one that means the most to me is the Prince of Egypt. Okay. And it even has the same composer as the score. Oh, sure, that's yeah. true. And both have Hans Zimmer. <laughs> we all love him. <laughs> uh, underrated Hans Zimmer, I think. People forget that he did he did the score for um, yeah. Prince of Egypt. But um, I love Prince of Egypt. And, you know, the idea that Paul is sort of torn between these two people he has been kind of accepted into adopted into and the people that he like born and raised with uh as far as the free men and everything there's like some clear moses allegories going on there and Mm -hmm. uh, i love the so many things about the prince of egypt one of my favorite parts is the burning bush sequence when to me it's as close as i think any movie has ever gotten to what when I think of what God would would be like, uh, mm-hmm. I think that is it. That's what I imagine. It has so peaceful, so calming. So mm. you know, it's not this thunderous, like in right. the Charlton has oh, Moses. You know, it's not like that <laughs> sure. at all. And uh, um, I love that. It, you know, he, he takes off his sh- his shoes, and and it's just so calming. I and uh, I love the parting of the Red Sea. Is just an incredible feat of animation, the whole sequence. Yeah. And, and again, very calming 
it's this huge massive event but walking through the the red sea and seeing the there's some people have said oh how could there be whales in the red sea i don't care it looks beautiful <laughs> to me and yeah. um and so you know and just some of those moments uh you know very similar also like paul standing before the baron confronting the baron you know somewhat similar to moses you know confronting pharaoh and mm -hmm. uh, yeah and pleading the case of the of the free man yeah it's a great one to bring up here i uh, i it's it's interesting with this uh you know this story and how it's going to continue forward because we know you know we're recording this on opening weekend but it's it's going to make a lot of money and he's going to get to make his third one yeah, and I mean, see, on. see <laughs> yeah seeing where the story is going to go for paul is going to be interesting. Obviously, I haven't read the book, so I don't know where it goes. And, you know, maybe he'll change a few things along the way. But it does seem to be going in a darker direction, I guess, as it goes. And so where it splits off from that very clear, uh, you know, biblical allegory, you know, that we get in these first two uh, is going to be interesting. But yeah, I love that bringing the Prince of Egypt in here as a piece and getting an animated movie in with, uh, you know, all these big blockbusters that have mostly you know, dominated the pieces so far through this whole super episode. So yeah, I, I think that's a great one to include. And yeah, are there any closing thoughts, anything else about Dune you wanted to bring up before we wrap this up? I think we covered it pretty good. I, it's uh, it's one that I understand why people love it. Uh, I certainly don't hate it. It's just not really for me. Sure. Uh, fair enough. Absolutely. So Rachel, tell people where they can find you and your podcast. You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all over social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes, and at the Hallmarkies podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this episode, and hopefully we'll get you back again sometime. All right, we've got Amanda Guaraji here with us to talk about Dune Chapter 2. How's it going, Amanda? Good, good. I, I'm so excited to do this with you today. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really fun uh, talking to all these people about this movie and getting a lot of different opinions. You're actually the last one I'm talking to, so it's going to be really interesting to see where you come from for this one. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a different perspective, so uh, when you asked me to come on, I was like overthinking it, but I, I think I got a lock now for sure. <laughs> right on, right on. Yeah, there are uh, definitely a lot of ways to uh, to attack it, but we might as well just jump right in. What do you have for your first piece? Yeah, so for my first piece, um, I really love Denis Villeneuve. And the one movie that I just kind of kept referencing in my mind while I was watching Dune Part 2 was Arrival. Mm. Um, I think, like, even Rebecca Ferguson said in an interview, like, from the costumes, it was very much like the um, the mother alien that they were studying. Mm -hmm. um, and I just felt like it stemmed from there. He pulled a lot from all of his films, but I think, like, the creatures... Um, and then, like, I don't want to say the UFOs, but the actual structure of... Um, the uh, the carriers and stuff like that it yeah. felt like it was pulled from those designs so i definitely got a rival uh from that and i'm happy that rebecca ferguson backed me up in an interview too because she felt the exact same way nice. with that yeah, yeah. whatever yeah. rebecca ferguson says we all listen but uh oh, you know sure. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah arrival being like such a high point of like modern sci-fi like yeah. it's such a great 
reference for going into trying to bring, you know, a classic piece of sci-fi like Dune to the big screen. And mm-hmm. so I think you're right. I think that it is, you know, this bridging of this like old school classic. I mean, you know, the obvious thing is to talk about Star Wars, even though they inspired each other. But like, you know, you mm-hmm. go to that old school sci-fi to something a lot more new school like Arrival, mm-hmm. um, you kind of get that that combination in what Denis Villeneuve is trying to do here with uh, Dune Chapter 2 and with like big heady ideas, but then also sci-fi blockbuster popcorn spectacle. You you kind of just yeah. get a big mashup of all of that. Oh, definitely. It's a perfect balance. And I think that even the performances in Dune Part 2, he's always found a knack to like like have like this massive spectacle, as you said, and that just grounded in human aspects that everyone can kind of relate to. Um, and I think it's beautiful. I think he has such a like emotional connection to these characters and he really saw it through. So to have such like watching it on like a 70 millimeter screen and then just mm. having these characters have these beautiful intimate moments as well. Uh, it's just incredible work from him. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, killer scores in both movies, but that's kind of Amazing. always the case with Villeneuve films. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. For but sure. uh, what do you got for your next piece? So this one, I I don't know why I thought of it, um, but I do think that having so many action scenes in Dune Part 2 and then having this underlying romance between Chani and, and Paul just reminded me, I have no idea why, of Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. where Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner are literally getting married during an entire battle sequence. Um, (laughs) And that's like one of my favorite scenes in At World's End. Uh, So it just reminded me of like, of course, that Elizabeth Swan's a pirate king, Chani's a fighter. um, And then obviously like you have Paul who is fighting alongside her and he loves her for who she is and she loves him for who he is. And then I just, I got those vibes because it was was very chaotic. Like if it was like politically chaotic or like the action scenes were chaotic, extremely well done. I was blown away by those. But I just felt like their romance grounded it and it just reminded me of that scene in At World's End. <laughs> Chaotic is such a great word to use here because like yeah. I, I've said this a bunch of times, I like Dune Chapter 2 a lot more than I liked mm-hmm. the first one. Same. And part of it is because of the energy of it all. Like it is mm-hmm. a lot of stuff happening. There's so much plot. There's the love story there. There is, you know, the double crossing. There, There is action. There's war. There's all these things yeah. going on. And so... Yeah, I mean, those Pirates movies, they do balance a lot of stuff going on. You also get a lot of uh, cast, uh, Hans Zimmer score. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of kind of shared elements between these two series. So I think that there's more than one way that you could kind of work that in there. So I think that's a great one to include. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm happy. I was kind of like, I don't know if it's going to like make sense. But yeah, I, I really, really thought of it while I was watching it. So, that absolutely works yeah. for me. Yeah, lot, <laughs> lots of things going on in both of these things. So yeah. that's, uh, that's great. Well, right on. Is there any uh, closing thoughts, anything you wanted to mention about this movie that we didn't get into while doing those two puzzle pieces? Um, I just think I, I've always said this and I said this with Oppenheimer. I said this with uh, the Irishman and I said this with the Fablemans. You can kind of see the culmination of the director's work in the, like that particular film for them. And this is what I feel mm. about Denis Villeneuve 
because you can pull from Blade Runner, you can pull from uh, Enemy, you can pull from Arrival, like I said, like I had mentioned, and like it's just everything makes Dune Part Two perfect because he's like taking everything that he's done before. So I feel like Doom Part 2 is really a culmination of everything that he's done. And uh, I said that in my review too, and I wanted to mention it here. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. You're right. There, there's a lot of parallels you can see to a lot of his work. And we have been seeing that a lot lately. You mentioned all those examples, like, right, mm -hmm. as you were bringing that up. But yeah, we, we've been seeing that a lot lately where, where filmmakers who have this like vast body of work seem to be kind of self-referential a lot lately. And yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of meta stuff, so like that doesn't bother yeah. me in the slightest. I'm I'm Same. down for that. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, that's a great point, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up there. So, yeah. Amanda, thanks so much for doing this. Tell people where they can find you and all your work. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you guys can always follow me over at AMX NDA Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, and you can check out my website CandidXCinema.com and my YouTube Candid Cinema. Right on. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for doing it, and hopefully we'll get you back again sometime. Definitely. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Dune Chapter 2. Thanks to all my guests that we got on this episode, Josh Bell, M.N. Miller, Bradley Andrew, Rachel Wagner, and Amanda Goraji. Really fun time doing this super episode. And thank you to all of you for listening. If you're enjoying piecing it together, make sure you are subscribed wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And I told you about the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group and the live show. I didn't tell you about our Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, and my music career. Lots of great stuff over there. I really appreciate you being out there listening to this show as we just started our seventh year of doing this. But, uh, you know, if you want to support us in that way, it would also be very much appreciated. And you get access to all that cool stuff. So check it out it's patreon.com slash by david rosen that is where you can find all of that so i'm going to close this out with a piece of music like i always do and dune being such a huge the first big movie of the year i might as well use this as an opportunity to preview an upcoming piece of music uh, as you may know, if you've been listening for a while, I'm doing this 24 for 2024 thing where I release a new single on the first and third Friday of every month of 2024. 24 new songs hitting all the streaming services. And I'm going to play one that's not out yet, but will be out sometime in the middle of the summer, I think. Um, I don't remember the exact date that it'll be out, but they're all scheduled for release. They are all coming. I could end up on a spaceship to Arrakis and uh, they would still come up. I, I don't even need to be here to push any buttons. They are all scheduled. They're coming out. You will be hearing them, but you're going to hear a preview right now of one of them. This is a track called At The Gates and it's big and epic. It seems like a good fit. So this is At The Gates, which will be out later this year as part of the 24 for 2024 series. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.